Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Vandalia, Michigan campus. For more info, look us up at newdaycommunity.org. Father, we just thank you. Thank you that your word, huh, yeah, is alive. That your word is direct. It is powerful. Jesus, have your way this morning with us. Teach us. Lead us. We want to know you better. We want to know you deeper. Come alive in our hearts. We know you're alive. Alive in our hearts. Open our ears and our eyes so we can see and hear what you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. All right, kids. Kids are out. I'm in. Can I hand you that? How are you doing today? Yeah? Good. I hear the stampede leaving the room. We have a lot of kids here, and that's wonderful. And I really mean that. I'm not just saying so. I think it's an important part of a church to be welcoming to the kids, you know, and to not be worried about if they make a little noise in the room because we love children. (laughs) We value them, and uh, we're excited that they're here at church with us. So like Luke said, my name is Bill Menser. Marilee is my wife. She's sitting here in the front row, and we're family life pastors at New Day. We've been many things at New Day for many years, but that's the current thing that we are. Um, You probably haven't seen me for a little bit. We spend most of our time in Kalamazoo, but we love you very much, and we've got quite a history with uh, some of you down here and with this church in this building in this place. So it's really nice to be here today and see you in person, although I think about you every week. Um, I want to share with you a continuation from Easter, kind of, about the resurrection We celebrated the resurrection of Jesus on Easter, and today I want to talk to you about living a resurrection life. Does that sound all right? Does it sound even good? (laughs) If if it sounds good, give me one of these right here. Oh man, that sounds good. All right, okay. So I brought show and tell today. I know the kids just left, but here's my show and tell. This is uh, probably my favorite book other than the Bible. I had to put that in there, right? This is one of my favorite books. It's called Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. He lived in uh, basically World War II era. Um, This is a book written from a radio series he did in uh, England. He's British. I won't do any more, sorry. Just one little little accent slip there. Um, He's a wonderful author. If you've not read that book, I would encourage you to do so. He is a great Christian thinker in my opinion. And so I'm going to quote from him a lot today. I'm also going to quote the Apostle Paul by reading you scripture um, from a lot of the letters that he wrote to the early churches in the first century that are now our New Testament. I'm going to see what does it look like to live a resurrection life. All right, so let's get going. Um, But we're going to start with a question. Do you like it when the preacher asks a question and answers it himself? Yes. Yes, you do. So Paul did that in his letter. Let's, Let's see if we can get it up here on the slide. Romans 6, 3 through 4. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? 
We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So Paul is beginning uh, to lay this groundwork of believing in Jesus, being baptized into Jesus, coming into him, starts a whole new life. There's a death and a new life that comes. We're just going to keep building on that a little bit. I love baptism by immersion. The kind where you go under the water is such a great picture of what Paul writes about here. Because when you go under the water, it's like Jesus going under the earth to be buried when he died. Right After the cross, he was buried and dead for a couple days. And then he rose again, like we talked about on Easter Sunday, right? as we celebrate on Easter. And we do the same. We go under the water when we're baptized. That's the death of the old us. And when we come up out of the water, we're a whole new person. We walk in newness of life, a new life, a resurrection life, or a new creation life. All those terms I'll probably throw out interchangeably this morning. Um, Paul puts it another way in 2 Corinthians 5.17. This is a famous verse. You probably, you might even know it. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Same idea, isn't it? In um, Philippians, Paul talks about knowing the power of the resurrection. See, faith in Christ is like a stake in the ground moment, a marker. When you choose to believe in Jesus and you start following him, Actually, it's not a stake in the ground moment. It's a you in the ground moment because the old you dies and gets buried and a new you starts living. Galatians 2.20 puts it this way. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So you've got this whole thing going on, dying, being resurrected to a new life like Jesus. I'm in him. He lives in me. All good things. All good things going on right there. Okay, so let's talk about, if we're going to talk about new creation life, we've got to figure out what the old creation life looked like. All right, so I just want to kind of define that a little bit. The old creation way of living is living outside of Christ, apart from Him. It's where we live for ourselves, where we design our own life. We go by our own best idea of what life should look like. We define good and bad on our own terms, and we go forward in in that way. We're our own king, our own queen, our own ruler of our life, and we go forward. That's the old creation way of living. That's find anybody who's not a Christian, go knock on their door, and that's what they're doing, trying to find their way in the world and do the best they can with what they got, and that's all they got, which is sad. (laughs) But we see this from the very beginning of our story as humans. If you open up the book of Genesis and you read about Adam and Eve, this is exactly what they did. They decided to take of that forbidden fruit because they wanted to choose their own way. They wanted to know good and bad on their own terms, have the knowledge of good and bad, the tree of the knowledge of good and bad. They wanted to to define it for themselves. They wanted to have knowledge too, like God. They wanted to set up and be like a God to themselves. And it's the same in every generation since. We've all made this same decision to do life our own way. Paul kind of uh, sums it up really uh, tidy. 
Oh, I skipped, I skipped one. Rewind that. Reverse it. <laughs> Doing that is the definition of death. When we set up our own way, when we go our own way, when we become our own gods, that actually is death. Why, you may ask, Bill. That's kind of, how'd you make that jump? Well, like in the garden, they ate from the tree of life, and they were going to live forever until they ate that doggone forbidden fruit. That was like their source of life. And it's a picture for us that God is the source of life. As long as we're eating from the fruit of God, from taking our source from Him, we live. We have life. But when we eat from this other tree, when we do it our own way, we disconnect ourselves from the thing that makes us alive. That's why it's death. Now, Paul (laughs) sums it up in a real tidy way. All have sinned. And the wages of sin is death. So we've all done it. We're all in the same boat. You don't have to feel bad if you've sinned today, last week, last month, last year, because I have too. We've all sinned. And Paul just calls it out. And what we earned for our efforts of doing it our own way is death. We've separated ourselves from God. So it's time to get to that first C.S. Lewis quote. He writes about Adam and Eve and about our situation. He says, What Satan put into the heads of our remote ancestors was the idea that they could set up on their own as if they created themselves, be their own masters, invent some sort of happiness for themselves outside God, apart from God. The reason why it can never succeed is this. God made us. He invented us like a man invents an engine. A car is made to run on gas. Or diesel, depending on what you're driving, I guess. But you get the idea. It wouldn't run properly on anything else. Now, God designed the human machine to run on himself. He himself is the fuel our spirits were designed to burn. Huh. There is no other. God cannot give us happiness and peace apart from Himself because it's not there. There's no such thing. Are you catching that? That British guy wrote some smart stuff right there. God created us in a certain way to have life in Him by being connected to Him. So when we say, I'm going to go find peace, happiness apart from God... That's not a thing, <laughs> right? If if you create a universe, you could make it a thing. If you figure out how to do that, let me know. I'd be curious to see what you're planning. Um, but he created the universe, and so that's not a thing. The way he set it up is that we are connected to him, and we have eternal life, and we have relationship with him, and he loves us. That's the way he set it up. And when you put that gas in your tank, you can drive a long way. But when you put anything else in your tank, <laughs> you're going to break down. All right, I think you get what I'm saying. All right, so what about new creation life? What does that look like? All right, so this is where we get back to the original design. We stop trying to set up on our own. Instead, we do it God's way. We put the right fuel in our engine. We refuse to uh, um, separate ourselves from Him. We stop trying to be our own master, and we submit to His leadership. In short, we live life in Christ, connected to that source. That sounds pretty good. Sounds pretty good. Here's one way to look at that. 
Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, As in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. So it kind of sets up the choice, doesn't it? We can follow after our earthly ancestor Adam and Eve, and we can go our own way, and we know where that ends. That ends in death. Or we can follow Jesus Christ, who gave us an example and died for us and rose again, and we can be made alive just like he was resurrected and is alive today. That sounds much better than following Adam, doesn't it? If you're tracking with me, give me another one of these. If you just woke up, do one of these. (laughs) Living a resurrection life, a new creation life. This is where it's at, guys. So, I truly, truly believe that resurrection life, a new creation life happens in an instant. When you believe in Jesus, you put your faith in Him, it's marked by your baptism, a new thing happens, a miraculous thing happens right in that moment, in just an instant. But (laughs) there's something else (laughs) that happens too. We find that although in an instant there's a new creation life, I don't seem to be totally transformed in an instant. I still, like I don't feel different right away. Not at me if you kind of get what I'm saying. So I put it this way. You have instant freedom from sin and death, but it takes infinite practice to learn how to live as a new creation. You have instant freedom in Christ, but it takes infinite practice. That means forever. You're working on it forever. Learning what he likes and what he doesn't like. Learning how to do life in his way. Or call it this. Call it a process of becoming who he says you are. If anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. So you're a new creation in an instant. He says that about you. But there's this process of becoming that thing that he says you are. All right, I want to give you an example. I'm going to tell you a story about my life. (laughs) I am an automation engineer um, at Post Serial in Battle Creek, Michigan. Um, Our cereal factory sits on about 65 acres of land, lots of buildings all spread out over those 65 acres. We make about 280 million pounds of cereal every year. Like, try to picture how big that pile would be if it sat in one big pile. It's ginormous. That's our technical term for how much cereal that is. That's a lot of fruity pebbles. That's a lot of honey bunches of oats, honeycomb, grape nuts. We make all of those and a few other of of your favorite post brands right there in Battle Creek. So um, we have hundreds of automation controllers These computers that tell the machines how to make the cereal and make it tasty. We have hundreds of these operator interfaces where somebody whose job is to make Fruity Pebbles can walk up to a computer screen and they say, well, I need a little more heat on that dryer. I need a little more of that liquid sugar that tastes so good. And they push a button on a computer screen. we got hundreds of those. Um, We have thousands and thousands of lines of code in programs that tell these machines how to work right. And as automation engineer, when they hired me, 
They gave me a business card. Bill Menser, automation engineer, post-consumer brands, Battle Creek, Michigan. And they hand me that thing. They hire me. They say, you're hired. Shake your hand. And all of a sudden, in an instant, I'm responsible for all that stuff. Not the mechanical stuff, but the computer stuff. I'm responsible for it in an instant. This happened in July 2013. That's about eight years ago. And uh, was I ready for it? I was not. <laughs> it's a very big place. I had 10 years of work experience, but I was not quite ready for that level of responsibility and that much stuff. I didn't even know how to make cereal. Not, not a clue. I had spent most of my time helping people make baby formula and you know, medicines and different things up to that point. So anyways, moving on. I've done some good things in eight years there. Like, I've learned a lot. I've got a lot of hands-on experience. I know a lot more about making cereal, um, these systems. We've upgraded a lot of them. I've, uh, like, set some standards. We do new, we've done new technology since I got there. Really fancy, fun stuff that I could bore you with forever. Um, so some good things have happened. I've grown a lot. I've gone to conferences to learn how other people uh, in my industry do things. You know, try to learn best practices from people who are doing the same thing as me. Um, so I've come a long way. I'm not there yet. Still got a long way to go. I think I'm doing pretty good. If you do a, ask me, if I do say so myself, I'm doing pretty doggone good. But I've still got a long ways to go. I'm responsible for a lot of stuff. Sheesh, it's a little scary talking about it. It's a big responsibility. You can probably see where I'm going with this. When you became a Christian, you got your Christian business card. Wait, you didn't get yours? Luke! <laughs> I'm just kidding. When you became a Christian, you got this title, Child of God. He adopted you. You know, in an instant, you got a title that is way bigger and better than automation engineer. And he wants to do something way bigger and better in you than what I'm doing at Post Serial in Battle Creek. Here's the thing. The bigger the title, the longer the process. Right? I kind of took a big job eight years ago. I think it's a big job and kind of felt like a big deal, if I do say so myself. But it took, it's taken a long time to kind of become that thing that they put on my business card. you got a bigger title as a Christian. To be a son or daughter of the King of Kings, the creator of the universe, is a really big deal. So it takes a lifetime. That's that infinite practice. It takes a lifetime to become who he says that you are. So if you think you're already there, or if you've settled in and said, this is good enough, I'm going to ride it out till I pass into eternity, your vision for your life is too small. I'm an encouraging guy. I don't like to be a downer. But that is true. If you've just settled in and said, this is as good as it gets, I go to church on Sunday, you know, and I'm riding her out till he returns or, you know, <laughs> I die and see him on the other side of that, your vision's too small for your life. If you think you've already attained it, you're wrong. <laughs> and I can pray with you about that. Uh, okay, so let's move forward. Um, what are we moving forward with next? Okay, this is another thing C.S. Lewis wrote that I want to read to you. I, I, I really want you to catch this one. He says, There's no possible degree of holiness or heroism which has ever been recorded of the greatest saints, 
None of that is beyond what he's determined to produce in every one of us in the end. The job will not be completed in this life, but he means to get us as far as possible before death. Yeah, that was the end of that. Did you catch what that said? No holiness or heroism of the greatest saint is beyond what he wants to do in you. So I'm going to take a drink for a second and let you think about that. Think about a hero of the faith, you know, from history, from who lives today that is a mentor to you, from the Bible, like David or Elijah or Paul the Apostle or Peter. Think about that person and what makes them a role model or a mentor, someone you look up to. God wants to do what he did in that person and more in your life. Bill, you're crazy. David was pretty awesome. He was a king and cut off Goliath's head. He was just a little boy with his... And then... (laughs) That was cool. Yeah, but if you don't believe that God wants to do that and more in you, your vision is too small for your life. You don't agree with God about that. And it's better to agree with God. He wants to do something bigger and better in you. The bravery, the faith that it took David to do that thing... He wants to develop that kind of bravery in your heart. That kind of faith and trust in Him in your life. Whether you cut off a giant's head, you know, maybe it won't happen. But the thing that drove David to do that, He wants to develop in you. You know, someone like Ruth who showed fierce loyalty when she didn't have to, you know, to serve her mother-in-law, to go with her when it looked like you know, a poor, sad life and probably starving to death. But she went for it. Your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. I'm with you to the end, Naomi, whatever happens. God wants to do that thing in your heart and more. Wow, that's pretty cool. You're going to be a cool person when he's done with you. You're probably already on your way there, aren't you? Okay. Paul talks about it like this in Philippians 3. He says, I've not already obtained this. I'm not already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. I'm having clicker issues. (laughs) Bear with me. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He kind of does that run on sentence Paul thing at the end there. So I'll back it up and remind you. He's saying, hey, I'm not there yet, but here's what I'm doing. Whatever's behind me, I don't care about because I'm focusing on going forward. I'm sticking with it. It's like persistence. Like no matter what happens in this life, no matter whether the yesterday was a win or a loss, a disappointment or a a total exciting, awesome day, I'm pressing forward because God has more for me. I'm going to persist in pursuing that. That's Paul's approach. There we go. He puts it another way. I won't read this whole one. It's kind of a big, long paragraph. But he says, put off 
your old self and put on the new self. So like, I've got this nice button-up shirt for church today, right? Imagine if I unbuttoned that thing and I took it off. I have an undershirt on. I won't do it in church. That'd be really weird, wouldn't it? You would not have me back. Who is this guy? This is church, people. But imagine taking off, like literally taking off something like a shirt, like the old creation way of living and throwing it in the dirty clothes bin, (laughs) throwing it in the fire to burn it up, never to come back, and putting on something new, something stylish maybe. I'm just kidding. Putting on the new creation life. Take off the old, put on the new. Okay, so we kind of sum this all up, right? Like we're going to persist in doing that every day. I'm going to take off the old creation life if it rears its ugly head. I'm going to put on the new creation life again and again and again. God's got this big, long-term, big vision for my life. And I'm just going to go after it. You might be saying to yourself, self, that sounds really hard. I'm not so sure I can do that. Bill says, my vision for my life is too small and I should have this really big vision for my life, but I don't think I can pull it off. Well, I have good news. You're not on your own. It's not up to you and you alone to make it happen. That resurrection power of Jesus, if you're a Christian, is alive and at work in you to transform you as you persist in just staying in him, connected to him. All right? C.S. Lewis put it this way. A real person, Christ, here and now, is doing things to you. It's not a question of a good man who died 2,000 years ago. It's a living man, still as much a man as you, still as much God as he was when he created the world, really coming and interfering with your very self. He's in you doing things, he's saying. He's killing the old natural self in you and replacing it with the kind of self that he has. At first, only for moments, then for longer periods. Finally, if all goes well, turning you permanently into a different sort of thing. A new little Christ, a being which in its own small way has the same kind of life as God, that shares in his power, joy, knowledge, and eternity. That's his goal for you, and he's at work in you to do it. The risen Jesus, we call it the Holy Spirit, the third part of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That Holy Spirit lives inside of you if you're a Christian and is doing a work in you. All you have to do is keep at it and not give up, not go your own way. And if you do, come back. And he will do that in you. That's that's his heart for you. Okay. So let's dig into something that an engineer just loves. The heart of an engineer, other than for the Lord and family and church, loves spreadsheets. Engineers love spreadsheets. Maybe almost as much as accountants. Ah, spreadsheets. Now this spreadsheet, it's a table on the slide up there. It doesn't have any calculations. You know, there's, I didn't use formulas and stuff, which I really would have liked to do. Um, but I couldn't, you know, it, was, it would have been out of context. It would have been fun, but out of context, not appropriate for this morning. 
But what I did do here was I listed um, on the left-hand side some Bible verses that you could go and look up later if you'd like to. I'm not going to read them all. And then in the middle it says, like, hey, this Bible verse is talking about the old creation way of living. And then on the far right side it talks about the new creation way of living. I just wanted to cover some of the basics, some examples of how living a resurrection life transforms us. And we're going to do three of these wonderful, beautiful spreadsheets. This first one is resurrection life and how we act. But we're going to talk about how we act, how we talk, and how we think. And then a bonus one without a spreadsheet. I'm sorry. I'll let you down on that one. But Okay, so how we act. Ephesians 4.28 says, hey, if we used to steal, we don't do that anymore. Now we're generous with those who are in need. That's the new creation way of living. Ephesians 5.3 says, hey, if we used to be in sexual immorality, that means any type, any type of sexual sin, we put that behind us and now we live a pure life. Ephesians 5.18 says, hey, we don't get drunk anymore. Instead, we're filled with the Holy Spirit. Romans 13.5-7 says, we don't cheat on our taxes but we give to Caesar what is Caesar's would be the example. We submit to the governing authorities. Paul encourage, encourages the church in Rome to do so. That's our encouragement to do so today. Ephesians 4, 31 and 32 says, we're not full of bitterness and anger anymore. Instead, we live the kind of life that is kind toward others and forgives others. That's how we act. Beautiful spreadsheet number two is about how we talk. Ephesians 4.25, we don't tell lies anymore. Instead, we speak the truth. 4.29 says we put away worthless or corrupt talk, depending on the translation you're looking at. And instead, the things that we say build up and give grace to those who hear them. We Ephesians 5.4, we no longer have foolish talk or crude joking, but instead we give thanksgiving to God with our words. And then James 1 and Three, talk about, it's hard to sum up, but it talks about taming the tongue. How the tongue is this wild thing that's out of control. And who can tame their tongue? It's so hard to do. So the old creation way of living, the tongue's out of control. Or maybe it's in control of us. The new creation way of living is in James 1.19. It says everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. That's quite a transformation. That one's a work in progress for me. All right, how about how we think? Romans 12.2 says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Philippians 4 says, Hey, we don't need to be anxious anymore. We don't need to be overcome with anxiety. Instead, we pray and we meditate on things that are good and noble and lovely. There's a whole list there. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, it says, our thoughts are no more in charge of us. They don't just run wild up here and we're just hanging on for dear life while our thoughts are taking us wherever they take us. Instead, we're encouraged to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. So that thought comes, (laughs) that thought comes into your mind. You don't have to follow it where it leads anymore. In the new creation life, through the power of Christ, you grab a hold of that thing and you look at it and you go, is that thought 
from the throne of God or from someone else's throne, you know? You evaluate that. Is this just my habitual way of thinking? Is this a temptation? You know, is this what so-and-so said when I was growing up about me? Or is this God's truth? We can take that thing captive. And if it's not good, we kick it right out. And we think thoughts that are obedient to Christ. Can you see how my three beautiful spreadsheets here go a little deeper at every level? See what I was doing to you there? How we act happens in the world around us as we live our life. How we talk starts in your body. Right on that little guy right in there. Say, ah. (laughs) Right in your mouth and proceeds out for others to hear. But how you think is all in your mind. We got a little deeper at every level. That transformation into who God says you are has to happen out here, in here, coming out, and in here. And the fourth one I couldn't cram into a table goes even a little deeper. I struggle with what to call it. It's kind of in your heart. It's connected to your emotions. It's connected to your thoughts. But it's kind of in your soul. There's things that happen deeper than what you think and what you feel. There's things that happen inside of you. And to bring that into Christ, to live a new creation life at that level of your life, sometimes requires inner healing. you got to get way deep in to who you are and what's going on in there and let God heal things that need healing in there. Marilee and I lead a, re- uh, a team called Healing and Restoration. We meet with people, um, kind of picture like meeting with a counselor, but we're not certified counselors, we're pastors. <laughs> and you talk about what's going on. You try to uncover what's going on at that level of your life, and you bring God right into that moment. You bring God into that level of who you are and let him transform it. It's powerful and it's effective. It has changed my life. So things that operate at this level could compel you to act in a certain way. All right? So like, it could, let's use a person. It's easier. I, I put forgiveness up there. Let's say somebody did something to hurt you long ago. All right? And now, when you get into a situation that starts to feel a little bit like what what it was like with that person long ago, all of a sudden you feel compelled to like maybe get out of there or maybe like fight or flight, right? Like one of these two things starts to rise up in you. Or maybe you're like, the best way to deal with this is to just let them trample on me and that's the quickest way to get rid of them. That compulsion to handle a certain life situation in the way you always have is a sign that there's inner healing available that could free you from that. You know, to set a boundary where you never could have set a boundary with somebody who wants to trample you. You know, to um, to not have to run away, but stand your ground when it's appropriate. You know, to not have to fight <laughs> back against a certain type of person because it's the only way to deal with the situation. When you get that healing, you get this freedom that unlocks a whole spectrum of ways you might deal with it as God leads you. When you don't have that freedom, you're locked in. This is just all I can do. And it feels overwhelming. 
That's just not fun. (laughs) So here's the good news. You don't have to carry baggage with you on this journey where God is taking you. You don't have to carry on your shoulders, think of backpack, right? The more you pack in your backpack when you go hiking in the (laughs) backcountry, the harder it is to walk a long way. For example, I like backpacking. You want to pack light. Have what you need, but pack light because you're going somewhere. You're going a long way with Jesus in this life and into eternity. You don't want to carry unnecessary junk with you that's going to weigh you down. Now, some people who are living with that stuff going on, you kind of see the way they live as weighed down, you know, or maybe they feel down or, you know, sad about it. But some people dealing with the exact same thing show it in a totally different way. They're the driven personality, maybe type A personality. They're compensating for their hurt by having it all together, by achieving, by being successful, by, you know, when the moment rises up, they're going to attack it. But it's the same thing. It's a compulsion to act in a certain way, whether to bear it and be weighed down or to attack it. Both of those are two different outcomes of the same need for inner healing. All right, I think you get, you're getting what I'm saying. Ungodly beliefs is another thing. This isn't, this isn't what you think. It's different than that. Because if I sat any of you down who are a Christian and I said, what do you believe? You would, you'd share with me some scripture, some good biblical worldview principles about what you believe. But I guarantee you, somewhere inside of you, because I know they're inside of me, <laughs> there are other things operating that are contrary to what you would write down if you wrote down your belief system. Those things that say maybe like, you're all alone, God can't forgive you, you're such a screw up, oh you dummy, you know, and you, typically people don't say these things out loud. Typically you don't say them out loud. You certainly wouldn't write it down for your pastor if I asked you to <laughs> write down what you believe. I knew one guy who did say it out loud. He was, he was very smart. He, worked his butt off to educate himself to become, uh, you know, a mentor to me in engineering in a place that I worked years ago. But when he made a mistake, he'd go, oh, you dummy. That is an ungodly belief coming right out of his mouth. He actually said his out loud, unlike most of us. He's not a dummy. He's incredibly smart. That's an ungodly belief. You got to find those Find There are indicators that will pop up that can point you back, if you're diligent at working toward it, to find those and uproot those things because they're leading you a different direction than where God wants you to go. All right, I've got to move on. We're running out of time. We're getting hungry for donuts and fellowship. <laughs> i got two left, and a third was like a chuckle. You can laugh if you want to. Are you still with me? Give me one of these. Okay, yes, I could I could tell, but I just like the feedback. Thank you. Okay, so I think we're back to another C.S. Lewis quote. Okay, so this quote, before I start reading it, um, like how do, we've got this big thing. We're going to change how we act, how we talk, how we think. We're even going to get to the core of who we are, and we're going to transform. How do you How do you do that? You know, we already said if we just like grit our teeth and try to just do it on our own, that just seems too hard. So good thing Christ is at work in us and his power is at work in us. But like kind of what approach or what attitude can we take that would be helpful? And that's where this quote comes in to help us out. 
He says your real new self will not come as long as you're looking for it. It will come when you're looking for Him, Jesus. Your new self won't come when you're looking for it. It will come when you're looking for Him. Does that sound strange? He asks questions that he answers himself. C.S. Lewis. I'm not the only one who does that. Does that sound strange? The same principle holds for more everyday matters. Even in social life, you'll never make a good impression on other people while you're trying to make a good impression on other people. The principle runs through all of life, top to bottom. Give up yourself and you'll find your real self. Lose your life and you will save it. Submit to death, death of your ambitions, your favorite wishes for every day, death of your whole body in the end. Submit with every fiber of your being and you will find eternal life. Keep back nothing. Nothing that you have not given away will be really yours. Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Look for yourself, and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But look for Christ, and you will find him, and with him everything else thrown in. I don't know if you've heard this in our culture today, but there is a sentiment that I'm in a season of finding myself. You know, like I, I, I'm finding myself and who I am and my purpose in the world. And I, I don't mean to, <laughs> I actually don't mean to belittle it because there is a, a certain element of that that is actually really, really good and healthy of figuring out how God designed you and who you are and what makes you come alive and pressing into that, figuring it out. You know, don't live someone else's life. That's lame and <laughs> not fun and you won't be good at it. So there's an element of truth to that. But the world outside of the four walls of this church are talking about finding themselves apart from Christ. You know, I've got this, the key to unlock a happy life is in here somewhere. And that's where it goes wrong. It's not in here, it's in Him. And it's actually as we find ourselves in Christ that you find the thing you're really looking for. Right? Because he's the source of life. Remember, we find ourselves outside of him. We find death. We find nothing. We find the absence of life, which is death. We find the absence of light, which is dark. If we find, try to find ourselves apart from him. But you find him. You find who he's made you to be in him. And that's where it's at. That's the good stuff right there. Okay. Preachers like to say, in closing... But it's a little early to say in closing, but the time is almost out, so we're kind of getting there. Hang with me for just like five more minutes max. Okay, I want to encourage you a little bit more. Um, we're talking about big stuff, and it's good to pause and to recognize how far you've come so that we don't get disappointed. When we talk about a big goal, it takes a lifetime, instant freedom, infinite practice. That's big stuff that could sometimes make you just want to say, forget it, that's too hard, <laughs> Right? But if you're a Christian and you have been for a little while, think about how far you've come. Think about what God has done in your life already. Maybe there's some stuff you used to do that was old creation way that brought death and destruction and bad results, bad fruit, that you don't do anymore. Good job. Maybe there's stuff you do now that you didn't do before that is, you know, fruit of the Spirit. Good stuff. Life stuff. Christ stuff. Good job. Take encouragement from that. You've come somewhere. He's doing something in you. 
And that's encouraging and can drive you forward. And then inevitably, I know you. I know you. Just like I know me. You're going to find places where you go, I'm still a real work in progress right here. (laughs) That doesn't seem to be too in Christ. But you can trust that you're on that journey, that he is at work in you. He's going to accomplish it. So don't get impatient. It's okay. It's okay. When you... When you're going the right way, but you make a misstep, we, we know how to deal with this. It's easy. We confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's 1 John 1, nine. So we know how to deal with those mistakes. We don't have to let it get us down. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul talks about um, he, the process of sanctification. His wish for the church in Thessalonica is that they would be sanctified, which is just means become a new creation. And he says to them, he who calls you is faithful and he will surely do it. You get that? You're going to become a new creation. He's going to do it in you. That's good news. In um, Philippians 2, he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. But it's God who works in you to will and to work for his good pleasure. There's this beautiful balance of our persistence in sticking with him, going where he wants to go, and he is at work to make it happen. You're not in it alone. Okay, one final quotation. I know, I should have ended with a nice spreadsheet, but we're going to go with a quotation from C.S. Lewis instead as we wrap it up for real. Okay? This is a good one. To have faith in Christ means, of course, trying to do all that he says. There'd be no sense in saying you trusted a person if you wouldn't take his advice. Thus, if you've really handed yourself over to him, it must follow that you're trying to obey him, but trying in a new way, trying to obey him in a new way, a less worried way, not doing things in order to be saved, but because he has begun to save you already. Not hoping to get to heaven as a reward for your actions, but inevitably wanting to act in a certain way because a first faint gleam of heaven is already inside you. Are you getting that? That is really good news. And it's true. Search the scriptures and you'll agree with C.S. Lewis. You don't become a new creation and live a new creation life to earn your way to heaven because you cannot earn your way to heaven. You lack what it takes to accomplish that and so do I. It seems sad, but it's good news because Christ can do that for us. And when you put your faith in Jesus, your sins can be forgiven. You can instantly become a new creation. You can be adopted and become a child of God. And then you start acting like a child of God because of that inspiration of what he's done in you, not to earn it. I used to do the Christian life the first way. I used to try to... Uh, do good stuff to feel good in here that I was going to make it to heaven. I wouldn't have told you, I wouldn't have wrote down in my statement of beliefs that I could earn my way to heaven because I knew that was ridiculous. But I sure wasn't acting <laughs> like it. You know what I mean? I, I kind of wanted to, when I screwed up, I kind of wanted to do enough good or be sorry enough that God would forgive me. It doesn't work like that. And I was totally unsuccessful. <laughs> it didn't make me a better person at all. In fact, I struggled the most when I tried to live life that way. 
But when I recognized, I finally recognized, I finally got the message that God forgave me and loved me and I was his son. Oh, now that was inspiring. That was motivating for me to actually live different. That's what I want for you as well. Would you stand and join me? We're going to wrap up. Let's just respond for a moment to this inspiration and motivation to live the new creation life, a resurrection life, all right? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and scripture to encourage us to uh, open our eyes to see that you want to put to death our old creation way of living. You want to raise us to a whole new life, your way of living, your source of life, Jesus. We want to tap into that this morning. God, would you forgive us for any ways that we live life outside of you, for trying to make it on our own, do the best we can with what we've got. It's just a sad way of living. Forgive us for that. Show us how to come back into you, to reconnect to you, to let you work in our heart and in our life. God, I pray right now that each person in this room would just catch a glimpse of that start of heaven inside their heart. Catch a glimpse of that transformation that has already begun if they're a Christian. God, I pray for anyone who's not a Christian here in the room or online that they would, they would see that you love them, that you care for them, and you have a plan for their life that is good and amazing and fulfills every dream that they, they have that they didn't realize could come true in you about what this life is meant to be. God, help us to encourage one another to live a new creation life. We love you. We're thankful for this place where we can come and worship you together and do life together in community. Amen. All right, so as you're dismissed, I want to remind you of two things. One is come hang out with me if you're a guy at Men's Retreat this week at Bear Lake, just down the street. It's always a good time. I've been there many, many years and enjoy the Men's Retreat a lot. And then also next week, Pastor Cameron will be back to start a new series called What is God Like? I'm super excited about this one, you guys. In Exodus chapter 34, verse 6, God reveals himself to Moses and says five characteristics about who he is. And we're going to spend five weeks talking about what God is like. It's going to be really good. You're dismissed. Have a great week.